We are in a series uh, in the Psalms, and we've, uh, we've called this series Authentic Humanity because um, one of the amazing things about the book of Psalms in the Bible is it's a, it's a, it's a book of poems, a song, a story to God from David and a, and a couple of other writers who wrote the Psalms. And what you find when you, when you read the book of Psalms is a bunch of stuff, but it's a, it's a collision of a human experience through life circumstances presented before God in all of its beauty and all of its terror and all of the trials and all of the challenges and all of the celebrations and all of the amazing parts all brought together and held openly in a, in a song and a poem to God. And I love the Psalms because if ever there was an invitation for, for us to be real before God, you only have to look through the book of Psalms to realize, oh, God doesn't mind you having a tough time or a tough day and sharing that with him. He's not scared of the fact that maybe if you're in here this morning, you're in a season that's particularly hard or difficult, being able to be honest with that, being able to own the humanity part of you and say, this is really hard. Because if you read through Psalms, David had multiple, and the other writers of the Psalms had multiple times and occasions when they were most challenged by life. And they, they're presented in this book of Psalms, not so that we can sort of wallow around, but so we can actually appreciate that that God's really okay with us being real before him. How many of that's an encouragement to you? I, I know that for lots of people that are around the church, there's often this unspoken sense that we have to bring our lives before God or we have to present ourselves all, all together and have it all together and it needs to look bright, it needs to look shiny, it needs to look perfect. And that's just not the reality of life, is it? It's not the reality of my life, maybe it's yours. But it's not the reality of our lives. And so Psalms does this beautiful job. It is this amazing invitation for us to live really real before God. To know that God isn't going to reject us. God isn't disappointed with us. That we can own our humanity, our trials, our struggles, our mountaintops, the, 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 the grief, the loss, the celebration. We can own it all and experience it with God because he wants to be part of our story. See, that's the invitation. Psalms is, is, is one big song to God which reminds us that God is part of our story. He's not waiting for us to have our story all sorted. He wants to be right in the midst of every season and every part of it. So we're in Psalm 139 this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, you can pull them out. Maybe you use an iPhone app. That's fine too. Isn't it funny? Like, you know, you, we used to go, oh, you could turn, you know, turn, turn to the Bible. But now it's like, turn to the Bible. It's all scrolling. Anyway, Psalm 139. And uh, I'm going to read it to you and we're going to look at these verses together and, and hopefully crack open what this thing actually means to us this morning. Psalm 139, verse, I'm going to start in verse 13. It says this, For you formed me, uh, sorry, you formed my inner parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intrinsically woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. 
If I could count them, they would be more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. It is Dedication Sunday, and so I've, I've framed what I wanted to talk about this morning in the context of this, that, that we have a dedicated God. He is fully dedicated towards us. And because of his dedication towards us, we can live a dedicated life towards him. There's a relationship, a partnership that we find in our, in, in our relationship with God that is on the one hand everything that he's done for us, And then on the other hand, our opportunity to respond to him, to respond to all that he's done. Now, the context of these verses are in the whole of Psalm 139. It's that psalm that started by David saying, Oh Lord, you have searched me, you know me, you know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, you discern my thoughts, you search out my path from my lying down, you're acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. This is the context. It's, it's basically David explaining the fact that God is intrinsically involved. He's intimately involved in every part of his life. You formed me. You formed the inner parts of me. So that's the first section of 139. And then where we jumped in at verse 13, it starts with this word for. Now, anytime you read in the Bible... The word for, it's, it's something just to pay attention to, especially in Psalms. Because for um, is a helpful turning point word to say everything that you've just read, it's because of, and I'm now going to answer why that is the case. So David starts by explaining the fact that God is intimately involved in all of his life, in his going out, his coming in, he knows everything about what I'm thinking. He's intimately involved in my life. Because, and now he's going to answer that question in those verses that we've read. So it's important not to overlook that. It's a little word for, but it's important not to overlook it, to grasp its significance. Because it indicates that what's coming is an answer to a question. And that question is this. How is it that God knows David so intimately? And how is God so involved in David's life? Now, the answer is very simple, and it's what we found in these verses 13 to 18. The answer is, is that God formed David in his mother's womb, and he ordains his steps. In other words, he maps out his steps. And David's making this point that there is, ultimately, there is no one better. There's no one better place. There's no truer, more accurate, or more exhaustive knowledge of a person than God who made him and fashioned his existence. You know, and there is a very simple, and I like simple, but profound message in these verses. And that simple message is this, that that God really knows us. And because of that, because God really knows us, and maybe even despite the fact that God really knows us, he's dedicated to us. Right? That's the simple message of these verses that ultimately that God really knows us and because of that maybe even at times despite of that he's fully dedicated to us in a few minutes I want to go back into these verses and I want to read them from a different translation there's a a translation of the Bible called a passion translation and it's helpful because it it, it unpacks in, in um 
in a unique way some of the meaning behind some of these words that you find in the Bible. Often Greek and Hebrew words that you find in the Bible, they have, they have multiple different um, uh, translations, multiple different ways of understanding a single word. And so to pull some of that out actually helps us with the, the really, the, it lets these verses in particular kind of sing over us. The more poetic sense of what these verses are talking about lets us understand those. But actually, before I jump into that, I actually want to start right at the very end. There's a, a little line right at the end of those verses that I think helps set the context for all of what we've read. And that verse is this. It said, David said, when I awake each morning... You are still with me. I awake and I am still with you. It's a very simple line, but it's a profound line because what it's effectively saying is David, when he, when he literally wakes up and he looks towards his day, when he looks towards his week, when he looks towards his future, one thing that defines that is the presence of God with him, right? So he's looking, he, he's saying effectively, when I, when I, given everything I've just said, when I wake up in the morning, all that you know about me, you formed me, you knitted in me in my mother's womb, that you have thoughts towards me, all of those things. And yet when I wake up in the morning, you define, your presence with me defines my future. You formed me, you're thinking about me, and yet you're still with me. You know, he reflects back, David reflects back and he thinks, you formed me in my mother's womb. He's, again, he's reflecting back. He's, he's thinking about the fact that God has thoughts, his thinking, has, has concepts about how he sees David. And, even, and so he's looking back, but as he looks towards the future, when he says, I wake up and he looks at his future, he looks at his day, that's defined by the fact that God's with him. And I want to ask us the questions we kind of wrestle with this this morning is, is do we live according to the reality of this verse? Do we live according to who we are and whose we are? When we wake up in the morning and we look at what the day looks like, when we look at what the week looks like or what even what lies ahead, our future, is it defined by the fact that all of what God's done and when I look at my future, I know he's with me? Is that, what, is that how we see our life? Are we, is our life defined by who we are, who God says we are, is that, are those the two defining things? I was thinking about this recently. I, as a parent of two kids, I always want them to know just how proud I am of them. You know, it, it's my unique privilege as a, as a parent to observe the, the nature of my kid growing up and becoming the person that they were always meant to be. It's actually one of the greatest delights of a parent is to, is to see this, this journey from where, where your kids are entirely dependent on you and then they become independent. They, they learn of themselves and they begin to start to take responsibility and you start to see in the midst of that growth journey who they're becoming. It's an amazing journey to be on. But I always want my kids to know how proud I am of them, that I see the incredible people that they're becoming. I, I see what it is that, about them that it's amazing. And that's the stuff that I want to elevate to their attention, right? When you're interacting with your kids or when I'm interacting with my kids, I want to elevate and what I, how I see them is defined not by the fact that Abby still hasn't tidied her room, but it's that actually she is a, a, she is a stunning, caring, compassionate young lady. She still hasn't tidied her room, by the way. 
But listen, I want to always, in my perspective, I want to elevate the way I really see her, who she really is, above and beyond all of the things that might be temporary and, and those things that might be um, irritating, like the fact she hasn't cleaned her room. I always want to elevate. And when I'm speaking to her, when I'm talking to her, when I want her as, as a father, I want her to know how I really see her. That's my heart. So if that's my heart as an earthly father, how much more for a heavenly father, a perfect father who would want to elevate those things in us to, to remind us that he's deeply connected and committed to us and he wants to elevate the things of how he sees you. How much more would he want to do that? And in these verses, David is acknowledging the fact that God knows him, that he loves him, and that he was intrinsically involved with him, that God had thoughts about him towards him. He reflects on all of the things that, that, that have, have happened up to that point, and then David is able to reflect. And because of all that, I know that you're still with me. So I want to break um, these verses down again. I want to read them from the Passion Translation, hopefully unpack it a little bit more for you. The first part is really just unpacking the, the reality that God created David. He created humanity. He creates you and I. And this is what the Passion Translation says. It says, you formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside and wove them together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelous, breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it. How thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place, carefully, skillfully, shaping me from nothing to something. You saw who you created me to be before I became me. Before I'd even seen the light of day, the number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. I think about um, my own kids again in the context of this. And one of the things I love to talk to my kids about is that um, period of time when Sarah was pregnant, when they existed, but they hadn't fully shown up, right? That period of time. And, and listen, for a parent, it's, a, it's an amazing mystical journey of like, this, this person is very real. They keep me up at night. Not me, obviously, because I... They, they keep Sarah up at night, they're kicking, they're, Sarah's changing, they're growing. And I'm, we're, we're as parents, we're like mystified and we're involved in this child's journey already before we've even met them. And we, we're dreaming about what they could do and what they might be and what, how they, whether they're a boy or whether they're a girl. or Like we're in this journey with them even before they've even showed up. And we like to remind our kids about this. Because it connects them to the fact that we were part of their story before they ever even showed up. And that we were intimately involved with their life. And I, I love telling them about the moments, even, even when, they, when they did show up, the things that they can't quite remember. I like reminding them of, of the, the little things that they used to do as babies that they have no concept of now. As the, but like with Abby... My 13-year-old daughter, there's a way that we hold hands even now that is exactly the same way that we hold hands when she first started walking. It's exactly the way. We interlock our little finger in a completely different way. It's our special thing. It's what we do. But I'm intimately involved from the moment she started walking. She had, she had no, she does, we hold hands. If you watch us, she'll come and hold my hand. We'll hold hands exactly the same way. 
Because we've been intimately involved in each other's story and her growing up. And I love to remind her of that. Because I, as a father, want her to know I have been connected to your life and to your story and who you are. And the fact that we hold hands. One of the fun things I tried to do, she's 13 now, obviously, and she's way too cool for school. But I, I'm like, I'm like, baby girl, you used to, when I, you were one, and I would be lying on the couch, you'd, come, you'd lie on my chest. Should we try that now? And she's like, no way. <laughs> of course not. I'd kill you. But this is the thing. I love those moments because it, that reminding of the intimacy and connection and the fact that we're, we're, we're connected together. Listen, if that's me as a father, so connected to the story of, of my own child from, from the time that they were in the root womb to the time that they arrived and how intimately I want to be involved and am involved and, and all the, the nuances that came as she began to, they began, began to become people and make their own decisions and leave their bedrooms untidy, all of that stuff. I'm so vested in that story. I'm so connected to them as individuals. If that's me as an earthly father, how much more is Father God who loves you extravagantly wanting to remind you about how valuable his life and his story is in connection to your life and your story? That's why David was reminding us as the reader that, that, that God was intimately involved in every aspect of David's life right from the very beginning. You know, God is a father who created me. And it forms and forges the reality of my existence, connection and relationship to him. The second part, and we'll read from verse 17 and 18, is really about the, 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 the powerful reality that God really cares for me. He really knows me and he really cares for me. So much though so that he has thoughts towards me. It says this, every single moment you're thinking of me. How precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in every thought. Oh God, your desire towards me and are more than the grains of sand on every shore. When I awake each morning... You're still with me. God has a multitude of thoughts about you. So many that if you were to try and count them, you just wouldn't be able to. This verse is effectively saying if you span back the entirety of time to its very beginning and you were to fast forward through eternity to, to, to eternity, there would not be enough time to count the thoughts that God has towards you. It's a lot of thoughts. I remember with, um, when Luke was growing up, he, um, he's quite like his mum in that he has like a, a very strong perfectionist thing going on in, in him. But obviously when you're a kid and you try new things, you're not perf perfect at them, right? There's a whole process of learning and growing. Luke was really, really hard on himself. He's really hard on, like he would go, he would, Everything that he did knew, he was always the worst at it. He was always terrible. And he was always never going to do it again. You know, everything from simply like drawing a picture through to playing new sports, through to learning an instrument, like everything he did, like I would stand back and go, like, you're way better than me at those things now than I am now. So like wind your neck in because it was more or less like not to make everything about me, but he's a talented kid. Like he, I, I played drums and when he first started playing the drums, so hard on himself. It's like, I'm rubbish. I'm never going to do this again. Chuck your sticks on the floor. He's like way better than me at drums. And he is, I've, I intentionally didn't teach him because I didn't want him to get better than me. I was like, 
Go watch YouTube, watch YouTube clips, you'll get really good at it. And he did. But he's really hard on himself. He's growing up, he's really hard on himself. And here's the thing, like, I always wanted to be that, I wanted to be that resounding voice in his life over and above all the things that he felt like he was rubbish at. I wanted to be cheering him on. I wanted to be the one that says, Luke, that's just not true. Let me tell you what I really see on you. You are really creative. You are really good at sports. Like, you are really good with people. Like, I want him to hear over and above the noise of his own head, the, ho- the, the reflections of his own character. I want him to hear my father's voice over his life. Because I'm the one that sees that he's way better than he thinks he is. If that's me, how much more is a father who knitted you together in your mother's womb, who knows you intimately, how much more would his thoughts about you be valuable to your existence? Listen, I re- I'm so conscious. We live in a world where culture is telling you who, how you should think, what you should think about yourself. It tells you you're too fat, you're too thin. It tells you you're eating the wrong things. It tells you you're not going to the gym enough. Culture tells you you're not wearing the right clothes. It tells you that you're not married to the right person. It tells you all sorts of things. Culture will constantly tell you who you are. I feel like this is one of the reasons why in this day and age, I think we struggle more with our mental health than at any other time in history. It's because our minds are bombarded with opinions, voices, sounds that are singing over your life, telling you what you should be. We find it in music, culture, in the arts. Everywhere we find it, it's a constant flow of a song telling you who you should be. It's thoughts about you. And for the most part, we just go along with it. For the most part, we subconsciously take all this stuff in and we say, oh, that maybe is who I am. Maybe, you know, maybe I am wearing the wrong clothes. Maybe I'm, I am driving the wrong car. Maybe I am married to the wrong person. Maybe I am a little bit too fat. Like, we just, we come into agreement with these things subconsciously. And I feel like that's one of the reasons why we're overwhelmed and why so many of us struggle with the overwhelming nature of those things and it affects our mental health. These verses tell us a very, very different story. It tells us that there is a, there's a flow of thoughts about who you really are from the person who, who knows you, formed you, and is intimately involved with every aspect of your life. There's a flow of thoughts towards you from heaven. And part of our responsibility is to get underneath those thoughts and allow his voice and those thoughts to become louder than the other thoughts that are around us, right? Culture is telling you all the time, you know, your workplace, your family, your friends, they all have things to say to you. Your circumstances are telling you a story constantly back to you. Your bank balance isn't, you're not far enough along in your job. Your circumstances tell you a story that are thoughts coming towards your mind that are ultimately placing you and your existence and how you think about yourself. And yet David opens up this other way, this invitation for us to perhaps step outside of all of the pressure points of culture, outside of all the defining things that this world would tell us to think about ourselves. And it says there's a different way to think. And that different way to think starts with a connection to a father who loves you, that is so committed to you that he started the process right at the very start of your life. He knows you, he loves you, he values you. Now he has an amount of thoughts towards you 
that you could never get to the end of. I love that. And then David finishes it off by, by saying, when I awake each morning, you're still with me. There's this beautiful simplicity to these verses, which ultimately says that God knows you. He loves you. He has such high value for who you are that he has a flow of thoughts and ideas and encouragement that comes from his heart to you that has the opportunity to change the way you see yourself, to change the way you think about yourself and to align it with a God who loves you. Listen, when there are very loud voices in the world trying to tell you who you are and your value, let me encourage you. And it's at that moment to say, no, I, if that thought about me that you're shouting at me or the culture shouting at me, it doesn't, if it doesn't line up with how the Father sees me and how he loves me and how he values, that's not really a thought worth entertaining. You know, when, um, you know, when Paul uh, was writing to the Corinthian church, he, he, talked, he, said, um, he said, take every thought captive. We often think about that verse in the context of, of sin, you know, stuff that we might get wrong. It, you know, take every, every, um, every sinful thought, every wrong thought captive. I don't think that that's what that verse is talking about. I think it's just take every thought captive. You know, when a thought hits your mind from culture that says you're driving the wrong car or you're not far enough ahead in your career or, or, that, you're, or that you're stupid or that, you are, that, you, um, that you're, in, you're insecure or that you, that you should really be worried about this thing, when that thought hits your mind, we have a choice. Do I take that thought captive? Do I hold on to it and hold it away from me so that I can for a moment step under the eternal flow of the way that Father thinks about me and let that thought be the seed that gets planted in my life? That's the choice we have. That's the opportunity when it talks about take every thought captive. It's saying there's something really intentional for us to do. If this is the wash and the wave of culture speaking to me, trying to define who I am, and I sit underneath the shower of it, Taking every thought captive is saying, no, hang on a second. There's a different way because there's somebody different that says something different about me. I need to get under the flow of how the Father thinks about me, what he says about me, because he's been involved in my life right from the beginning. Nike weren't involved with me from the beginning of my life, and yet they really, really want to sell me trainers. They weren't involved with me from the beginning of my life. So I'm going to listen to it. If I think that I'm not valuable enough because I'm not wearing the right things, I need to take that thought captive and get underneath the flow of thoughts that are coming from God. And that's what I want to pray for us this morning as we close out, that that, that would be a reality for us. Whether we feel like we, we know God this morning or not, that this morning would be an opportunity maybe for us to ask the question, God, what do you think about me? Maybe you would ask that question for the very first time this morning. God, what do you think about me? And I know that he will come alongside you and he will encourage you because he loves you. He values you. You're so eternally precious to him. And his thoughts towards you and about you are really, really good.